what since the second half really how much they've really struggled charged with finding some stability from this scrum and he can't find it that's a mighty shot a mighty Mark Lester the scrum battle resumes now and a big shot from Brazil oh that's sensational Welcome back to the next episode of the journey of a grassroots rugby coach and today my guest is Jonathan Flynn. Jonathan is originally from Scotland but he's now coaching the senior team at Rugby Club Mertz in Federal 2 in France and he also coaches at Rugby Club Luxembourg in the first division in Germany. He has spent five years as the head coach of the Luxembourg national team, both at 15s and 7s, and he's also coached club rugby in Belgium, Luxembourg, and various other national age-grade teams. Jonathan is also a trainer and educator for World Rugby and has delivered coaching courses throughout various regions throughout Europe. We spoke about how the score doesn't matter and it's important to develop skills in young players, keeping training sessions fun through competitive games and working at a high tempo. We also spoke about questioning our players and letting them try and fix the errors. I really enjoyed this chat with Jonathan and took a lot away from it. There is no YouTube episode of this podcast as Jonathan had some issues with his internet um, and before we started recording it kept dropping out so we haven't um, got any visual, it's just the podcast today. So you'll just have to listen here and don't look on the YouTube channel. Again, if you like the chats we have, make sure you subscribe so you get the updates. Um, word of mouth's the best way to promote this stuff. So let your friends know, let your players know, let other coaches know. Feel free to share it to anybody that you think can benefit from it. Um, again, thank you very much for listening and I hope you get as much out of this as what I did. It really doesn't matter. Um... If, if at junior level, I think if you if you win or lose, and, I, and because you know that it's a developmental curve that you're on, um, you're trying to help players get better. You're trying to help players stay in the game, uh, remain in the sport. Um, you're trying to uh, give them positive experiences. Um, so I think that if if you know if I could sort of help coaches to understand that, it would be. It'd be useful because it really help with your coaching a lot. But once you can get into that mindset, I think that um, it really doesn't matter if you win or not. Um, with, uh, with with junior players, as I say, because you can just you can just help um, help them in so many other ways in terms of learning about their position, learning about the game, improving tactically, improving physically, improving uh, technically, improving mentally. Um, all right, mate. Um, so yeah. we'll, we'll make a start, um, and, and we'll just see how we flow, mate, with, with regards to questions and that. They're just points if we get stuck for discussion stuff. So, um, so just for the listeners, Jonathan, just in a nutshell, um, who you are, where you are, um, what's your involvement in grassroots coaching at the moment? Yeah, sure, Bruce. So, um, yeah, I'm Jonathan Flynn. I'm originally from Scotland, but uh, for the last, well, 20 years or nearly, I've been uh, out and about in Europe and uh, been coaching um, 
the last five years I've been coaching uh, the, the the national team in Luxembourg, the the, the national men's team, um, and then that came to an end in uh, last year. Um, rugby club Metz Moselle in France, um, the club that play in Federal Federal Deux, so the sort of like fifth tier of the of the French competitions. And then uh, and I'm coaching at uh, rugby club Luxembourg, who play in the uh, the German league. Again, senior senior men's coach there. So, um, so a little bit of both. Uh, last season, in the sort of COVID season, I was coaching up in in Brussels with uh, with Old Kituro, who, who play in the first division up in in Belgium. Uh, so, although it was a, a very kind of abbreviated COVID season, um, so kind of got my, a little bit of a, a little bit of a hand in you know a few different uh, countries, a few different championships, but all kind of. Um, Grassroots, if you know what I mean, uh, mostly um, mostly amateur players and uh, and stuff like that. Yep, yeah. Oh, that's good, mate. That's um, some good experience around there. Um, so, what got you into coaching in the first place? Well, um, I think like a lot of people, it was um, I was playing, and then I was actually I was playing in Luxembourg in the. Uh, the club I was playing for, uh, we had a player coach, and then I was captain of the club. He stopped and uh, moved on to just to do some other stuff. And uh, I kind of had to take over short term myself because um, you know, I was the captain. And we didn't have another coach at that point. And in the end, we just we didn't get a coach that season. Um, but it went really well and we ended up winning the league and uh, so the following season they asked me to keep coaching but by then I kind of stood down the captaincy if you like and, and became a kind of player coach um, and I just found myself putting myself on the bench more and more and more because you know I, I couldn't really do both to be honest I, I don't really think you can play a coach very effectively um, so I, uh, I ended up just Playing less and less minutes and and kind of coaching the team uh, from the sideline, and that that got me into it. And then um, I think I stopped playing the following season and uh, took a year off rugby. And then um, and then my predecessor with the with the Luxembourg Federation, he asked me to to come in and and help him uh, as an assistant and uh, kind of volunteer role, you know, with. with with the national team and some of the some of the junior stuff uh, here in Luxembourg, and so uh, I've just began doing that. Um, this is about eight years ago now, and I've just kind of kept kept doing it. It's kind of grown and grown. Yes, that big beast that is coaching. Once you get get thrown into it, sometimes you just get take, swept away by it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good. Um, yeah, some people have had that journey around coaching where they've stopped and then, well, continued as a player coach. And I agree, I did it for a couple of seasons, but you don't get the best out of yourself as a player or a coach um, in that role. And that's just my experience. Um, Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I would 100% agree with you. I I really think (laughs) to get, to, to do it effectively is I would contend almost impossible honestly yeah 
Yeah. Um, so in that journey that you've had, uh, what's one of the heartbreaks or some disappointment that you've had as a coach? Well, I think, um, you know, kind of professionally, if you like it, disappointments have been, uh, you know, where you've performed well and um, for whatever reason, not, you know, not continued in the role. Um, you know, it, the, the nature of the beast at this kind of grassroots level is you're working for uh, kind of, it's kind of like working in the not-for-profit sector. So you're working for clubs or um, or unions or, or whoever who are kind of run by volunteers. So I think, um, you know, when things, when you're performing well and then, you know, you end up uh, effectively losing your job over it, it can be a bit frustrating. Um, I think that's been, that's been kind of heartbreaking a couple of times where you're not, uh, you're not maybe reporting to professionals and maybe just a change in circumstances, you know, whether it's uh, changing committees or, uh, or changing finances and stuff, you can kind of um, end up, end up not being able to finish what you started. That's happened to me a couple of times and it's been, been really disappointing. Um, but I think more from the actual coaching perspective, um, I don't know that it's a disappointment, but a real heartbreak was one day um, I was out in the Czech Republic with uh, with Luxembourg at the, the Rugby Europe Under-20 competition. This is going back about six years or so now. And uh, Under-20 team were playing against the uh, the, the Czechs, the, the, home, the, home, the home nation, if you like, the hosts. And uh, effectively, the game it was like our second match, and it, a win would have effectively put us in the final. And uh, you know, it was one of these games where um, we played extremely well. Uh, the boys did, did very, very well indeed. Um, really young team, cut with seventeen-year-olds in an under-twenties team, and uh, we got to um, we matched the big, big, strong Czech Republic team, matched them, and kept in the game, and we were actually winning the game with like you know two minutes to go three um by three points and uh we were down to i think 13 players because we had some local local touch judges neutral referee but local touch judges who were you know getting involved and flagging up kind of imaginary offenses i think we had three cards during the game and um we just needed to kick the ball out at the end of the match to win it and you know young, young uh, very young players just didn't realise, didn't realise what was going on, panicked, we lost the ball and um, the Czech scored, took it to extra time and uh, and then, you know, we'd been out and down to, as I say, 13 men or maybe even 12, I, I really can't remember and the, the Czech scored a couple of times in extra time and uh, I, I just remember like, really being devastated for the players because they played so well um, and it was, a, it, it was actually a fantastic learning opportunity for them because uh, you know, in in hindsight, um, I think we had, yeah, it was heartbreaking is, is the word you were looking for, Billy. Um, but I can't actually say it was a disappointment for me from a coaching perspective because the, the, the boys have played incredibly well. And uh, I remember a little sort of side note about that. The game was uh, kind of kicked off in the in the daylight and finished under the lights. It was that sort of early evening kickoff and uh, 
Switzerland had played, uh, I think, Moldova just before just before our game. It was a double header thing, and the Swiss were sharing the same hotel as ourselves, and uh, they had had to leave at half time. They'd watched the first half of our game, and they'd had to leave at half time to go and have dinner at, back at their hotel. And we got on the bus to go back to the hotel. The boys were absolutely devastated, and I remember. Um, we pulled up at the hotel, and it turns out we hadn't known this, of course, but the Swiss had been so into the game, they'd asked if they could watch the second half on the on the big screen back at the hotel while they were having dinner. And uh, the boys got off the bus, it was completely silent, and uh, got off the bus outside the team hotel, and the, uh, the, the Switzerland team had come out to clap them off the bus and to, to kind of cheer them into the hotel because the, the performance had been effectively so heroic. They were so badly outsized and outgunned by this big Czech team. Um, and I think that it, the reason I'm telling you that one is because I think it just showed um, what, what, a sort of, what a kind of great learning experience the whole thing was for them as players and uh, how kind of, yeah, it was very, very disappointing, but I think it was one of these examples of where a sort of defeat and a... Um, a performance against a much stronger team, you can just learn so much from it. Um, and I think that's what I think that's what I took away from from that from that game certainly. Um, so it wasn't, yeah, maybe not a disappointment, but definitely very heartbreaking at the time. Yeah, and there's a good point in there, like like you said, Jonathan, is that even though you did get beaten, um, there was a lot of good learnings come out of it. Um, and I'm, I'm sure the boys took a lot away from the performance. Like if they take if they take the result away, it was the performance that they put on against yeah. you know a, a game they were probably never supposed to even be in a shot to win, and they came within. Totally. You know, and and I think as coaches we we beat ourselves up over that, and then when you like you said when you reflect on it, you go, yeah, we did a few things wrong, but the the greater stuff came out of it, like you said, at, at the end and what those boys took, took away from that would have been um, immense. Yeah. So, so what about the opposite, mate? What's some of the good, some of the enjoyable or the big, the really good moments that you have as a coach? Yeah, well, I think obviously there's, there tends to be more of those. That's, I guess, why we keep doing it. Um, <clears throat> So I, I think my, my last match in charge of Luxembourg, actually, um, which was November 2019, um, that was the last time the, the, the national team played uh, with myself as coach. Um, we, we went up to Sweden and to play them in a, in a men's, men's game. And um, you know, rugby is a tiny sport in Luxembourg, as you can probably imagine, tiny sport in a tiny country. Um, but we... Uh, we went up to Sweden to play them in the in the effectively our championship, rugby Europe championships, and um, in forty years, forty plus years actually, probably forty five years of rugby in Luxembourg, they've never beaten Sweden, and uh, we went up there again against a much fancied Sweden team, and I'd literally spent the week before it, ten days before the game, probably frantically trying to even assemble twenty three guys. Um, you know, to cover off positions and to uh, to get front rowers and to get guys in from from everywhere. But um, 
you know, we were again physically massively outgunned by a, a big strong team up there. Um, but I think the reason I'm talking about it as a success is that the team won uh, 13, 13 nil, I think. And um, we, the boys literally stuck to the game plan for the entire, uh, for the entire 80 minutes. And I'm laughing as I say this, but as you're probably aware, it can be quite difficult to get players um, to, to, to stick to the game plan for, for an entire match, um, especially at kind of non-professional levels, you know. Um, but for, to their credit, they, they all did. Um, they stuck to the game plan, which, you know, my staff and myself had put together and and it paid a huge dividend. Uh, they were very, very unfancy to, to win it. Um, and and they did, and it's the only time Luxembourg's beaten Sweden. So I was really, really proud of that. I was really proud of the uh, of the effort that they all put in, but also the fact that they they maintained that discipline, and it kind of showed that things can pay off if you like. You, you know what I mean there? The, uh... Yeah, yeah, and I think it's good to have, like you said, you're in a a small, you've got a small pool of players that you can pick from, and when things like that happen. Mm -hmm. It just, like you said, it's not just at grassroots. There's professional teams that can't stick to a game plan for 80 minutes. Um, yeah, absolutely. We, we see it all the time. And just to have a group, of, a group of, like you said, a, a team of some players are actually ringing up as you're getting on the bus to make sure that they're there and they actually went out and, and yeah. did the job. Yeah. That, that's, that's kind of what was happening. We were trying to fly guys in from here, there, yeah. everywhere um, in the sort of two days before the game. And, you know, we'd... I remember we had a player who arrived very, very late the night before from from Ireland to, to Sweden, you know, via something what circuitous route. And um I just I think from a from a coaching perspective, it was so satisfying. It was one of those games we managed to kind of do everything right. Um we managed to get everyone onto the field to sort of experience part of it as well. You know, even though it was very small minutes for, for a number of guys, we you know, and, and we were ahead by less than two scores, we still managed to get everybody on and get Get everybody to kind of share in that positive experience, which I thought was great. And to be honest, I was really kind of happy with it afterwards that I'd managed to um, to let everybody participate and, and kind of share in the share in the in the positivity. You know. Yeah. No, that's really good, and that's again the, the players would have got a lot out of that, even if they'd only got a couple of minutes being part of part of history, I suppose for for the for the country. So that's. That's that's something you can't take away from them. So that's um, quite a good uh, memento for the boys that went up there. Yeah, hundred percent. I think uh, you know a lot of guys probably will remember it throughout their rugby career, really, because it was one of those one of those weekends where kind of everything fell into place. You know. Yeah, I've been involved in probably one or two of those situations, and you walk away at the end of it and you just go, "Yep, everything went to plan." Which is a rarity in any sport at the moment, or at all. So yeah, it's good when it, yeah. it is. It's really good when it comes off. Um, what's some of the? Oh, pardon me. What's some of the lessons that you've learnt um, in your coaching journey, Jonathan? That you could um, let the young coaches out there know, it? like some of the, because we all, we don't all learn the same lessons, but we all sort of on that journey of trying to learn and we all learn things differently. So what's some of the stuff that you've learned that you could share with the new coaches out there that they're probably thinking, 
you know, along the same lines of, oh, it's over, I'm overwhelmed with all of this, or I don't know how to do that, or what do I do here? Yeah, I think one of the one of the big ones for me really would be that kind of performance over over the score, if you like, um, immediately. That when I started, that that um, the score doesn't really matter, um, especially at junior level, where you know a lot of us are, are coaching and, and have been coaching um, on part of our journey, or or are still coaching um, in the kind of grassroots environment. I think that the first thing to to sort of take take account of is just don't if you're coaching particularly junior players, just don't. Don't worry about the score. The result doesn't matter. Um, you know, um, if if I'd been with Luxembourg and we'd drawn against been drawn against the All Blacks, for example, there's absolutely no way we would have won the game. But we could have we could have taken a um, a lot of positives out of performances or whatever that we'd managed to if we managed to put that in place. Um, and so, if you extrapolate that down, you know, or extrapolate that out, it, it really doesn't. It, it really doesn't matter um, if, if at junior level, I think, if you if you win or lose, and, and because you know that it's a developmental curve that you're on, um, you're trying to help players get better. You're trying to help players stay in the game, uh, remain in the sport. Um, you're trying to uh, give them positive experiences. Um, so I think that if if you know if I could sort of help coaches to understand that it would be it'd be useful because it really help with your coaching a lot but once you can get into that mindset I think that um it really doesn't matter if you win or not um with uh, with with junior players as I say because you can just you can just help um, help them in so many other ways in terms of learning about their position learning about the game improving tactically, improving physically, improving uh, technically, improving mentally, um, enjoying it. Um, you know, I think that would be the, the, the sort of first thing, uh, because if you if you can think like that, you can use a lot of tools differently. You know, you might be coaching, for example, um, a, quite a strong juniors team, imagine, and uh, you're playing against a weak team they need players um you know if you can if you can get away from the mindset of winning the game then uh you could lend lend them a couple of your stronger players which would give those guys a, a far better challenge for the day as well as probably giving your own players a better challenge um so i think things like that that uh, shifting that mindset um because naturally coaches particularly junior coaches that you know they, they think results are important when they when they start out and uh the first kind of advice i would give um i would give to other coaches um yeah i think that's probably the biggest one i don't know what you what your thoughts are on that billy mate absolutely um even you know when I was coaching juniors, when I first started, it was, for me, you know, it was about winning. It was everything, you know, because that's how you, you know, <laughs> that's how, like, 
you you did the you, you know you coached the under tens and and they won so that means I get the under twelves next year and but then once you actually start looking at it and developing as a coach you sort of go oh it's not it's it's not the results that get me the that get me that job it's what I've done with players and like I've I've coached teams that struggled to win a game but I still had three players make the local representative team. So, yeah, yeah. You know, and you start, yeah, and once you start seeing that, you go, you know what? That's it. The winning, the winning will look after itself. Um, but if you can develop the players, um, especially at junior level, of course, you get, you know, the differences in sizes and skill abilities. And, you know, it's, it's amazing at that level. But, you know, you get kids that are, you know, a foot taller than everyone else. And then the next year, everyone's the same height. And yeah, so it's, it's if we can develop those players. But I think a lot of young coaches get caught up in the results because they think I've got to, I've got to prove myself to the, to the club or the committee or whoever. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, once you realise that, you know what, that really doesn't matter. And their kids and most of the kids don't really care. Like they know who wins and loses, but for for most of them, it's just like I just want to play and get better and and do that. So well, yeah. well, yeah, because the, I mean, like a lot of us at grassroots level, you know, I'm sure it's it's often the same in in Australia and certainly here in Europe. You've you've got to travel quite a long way for games as well sometimes. So you're, you know, you might have a a four hour bus journey or something like that to get to get these these kids to a game and um. They've forgotten. They've forgotten the score. You know, twenty minutes after the bus starts moving again, probably. You, you know what I mean? They're not sitting beating themselves up uh, about it. So there's no point in the coach, the coach doing so. Um, their their experiences are, are, are shaped by completely different things. Um, whether it's you know the opportunity to play with their mates or uh, the opportunity to, to you know get involved in the game or, or whatever. Um, and a lot of them have probably had quite a positive experience from uh, even though the, the team might have lost. I think as well, if you can link, if you can sort of concentrate on the process rather than uh, rather than results as well, you know, it, it enables you to to do your job differently. You know, Wayne Bennett obviously says about it, the, the score will take care of itself, and I think that's um, you know, if you can as coaches, if we can concentrate on the process, and uh, it just allows us to to stick to what we believe a little bit better as well. You know, um, so. Don't get too, don't get too hung up on the result. Um, just keep doing what you believe is is right, and and uh, you know, and tweak tweak that if you if you need to. But but don't just you know tear tear something up and throw it away just because the team loses or whatever. If you if you're confident that what you're doing is the right approach, then then keep doing it um, because it probably is. And and the as I say, the process is far more important than the outcome in, um, at grassroots grassroots sport. Yeah, and that, that's a good point, Jonathan. Um, and it probably sort of ties through some of the other stuff that we're going to talk about is let them make mistakes. Let these let the, let the players make mistakes because that's, you know, 98% of people on earth learn by making a mistake. Um, you know, I often see young coaches, you know, if the drill's not, you know, they oh, have dropped too many balls. Well, that's fine, but what? But why have they dropped the ball? What you know was 
or you get the other coaches who have, you know, these immaculate drills and they never drop the ball. And then when they get in a game situation, their 10 can't catch pass under pressure because he's not used to someone running at him when he's got the ball. So um, get your process right and just stick, yeah, trust your process. Yeah, exactly. In that, in that example, you know, the the, um, the drill was probably immacul immaculate, as you say, because there was no opposition or because there was no pressure or... Mm. You know what I mean? Um, so that's why the drill was immaculate, if you like. It wasn't yeah. really replicating the game at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I spoke to a coach a few years ago now, and he he sort of said that's why Australian rugby for a long time didn't have any good tens because everything was so structured that they weren't making decisions under pressure. So when they were put in that game situation, they just didn't know what to do that wasn't part of the drill we've just done yeah there you go and you just go yeah you're absolutely right um, mm. so i gather you get where you are in in well just in europe in general during the winter months it can get quite cold and horrible weather wise for the for the players oh, yeah. Yeah. um so so what do you do um in the training environment to make it enjoyable for the athletes that they want to turn up and also when you've got um, a mixture of players. So you've got, you know, you've got yeah. those players that turn up that just want to play. They're never going yeah. to be a superstar, but the two guys that he's playing with are potentially good players. Um, so how, how yeah. do you structure your sessions around both the weather and keeping those guys engaged and the difference in skill level that you get at, well, always at junior level and potentially at some senior grassroots clubs as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's your own point about Europe. Um, certainly this part of Europe anyway, kind of northern Northern Europe, it's, uh, you know, it's wet, wet, cold weather in the winter and heavy, heavy pitches um, a lot of the time. Um, although there's more and more synthetic, synthetic fields coming in now, uh, that kind of helps a little bit with the training environment in terms of... Um, being able to keep some speed into the game and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, as we've, you know, as we've come back into the season here in Luxembourg, for example, um, you know, we've been gradually allowed to do more and more since early 2021, uh, due to, you know, the COVID restrictions being lifted. We started back, uh, on a kind of very light and leisurely basis, uh, around February, March. And, um, it was so cold we couldn't really do any high speed running you know we couldn't really do any um any high speed running we were, we were actually limited to kind of fitness and no contact and, and not even not even playing conditioning games because you weren't allowed to share equipment so passing a ball would it would have classed as sharing equipment you could only you could only effectively train in twos uh, so it was really really challenging you could only train in pairs effectively um so we had to you know had to devise sessions that were that were going to keep people engaged where you, where you couldn't even really play rugby. Um, so that was, that was an interesting one. It, it had to be basically fitness based to start with, um, with some kind of, uh, one-to-one -one or, you know, skills and pairs as, as an active recovery. Um, but, you know, managed to make it, make things a little bit competitive and include some races and, uh, this kind of stuff. So that guys felt we got a good workout and uh, and the time passed quickly. So we started 
started doing that um, during the bad the bad weather. And I think as as we come back, we have come back rather, I should say, have come back more into into rugby. Um, you know, COVID restrictions have been lifted. Um, so as soon as I could, I, I started to use games, use games in the, in the practices again. That meant, uh, you know, conditioning games, skill games, uh, touch variations, just anything I could to try and sort of gamify stuff, let guys um, feel competitive, feel engaged, and, and uh, you know, obviously feel that they weren't really training, um, if you like. And I think that's kind of what I try to do normally is um, keep it keep it, keep things competitive keep keep involving games where i can and when we need to break out of that environment um try to put if we, if we have to break out into some some skills some uh, some kind of more close skill environment then when we return to the game um try and include what we've been working working on in the in the game environment so whether that might be you know if we're looking at some skills in contact for example then try to uh, allow that part, that part of, of the game, that that allow that contact area to be brought into the the, the game that we're playing afterwards, um, so that the players can put it into practice straight away in a in a conditioned game style environment. So I think that's the sort of general theme of what I try to do personally, Bully. Um, keep keep the tempo up during sessions if I can as well. Um, keep it going um and yeah i mean in general i think it tends to work yeah we had a really really positive session last week actually on wednesday where you know the big the time we got to nine o'clock which is normally the, you know the time the floodlights go off and uh the guys were come on john can we keep going sort of thing so they, they were asking to keep playing keep playing and uh I think that's that's always a good sign for a coach that things are um, that the players are engaged, you know. They just yeah. want to do another ten minutes kind of thing, you know, or another five minutes. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's really good um, advice for coaches, especially when you've got weather and other things that can go against you. Um, make it fun, it, it, and remember, it is a game that we're playing. Um, and the more games that they play, even, so, even senior players love playing games. Um, but I think uh, the, yeah, gamif the, the gamification of training is getting more and more prevalent um, throughout the world. But I think a lot of young coaches get stuck in that, oh, I don't have, you know, I don't have 15 players here, I, I can't play a game. To which my response to that is, 2v1 is a game. Yeah. You know, 1v1 one, one is a game. Guy, guy, yeah. guy, guy chasing someone from this point to that point, that's a game. Like, yeah. you can make, you can turn, if you've got two players, you've got a game and it doesn't. You know, yes, ideally, you, you want to get as much, you know, 10v10 or, you know, 5v5 or 15v15. But if you've got, you haven't, you, you get one, one guy versus another guy and keep mm. score. That's a game, and people want to do that. Well, I actually believe I even I would even go further because you're absolutely correct. I would even go further. Though. I think a lot of coaches don't think that nine v six is a game as well. You know, it can be if you want it to be. You know, yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, you can 
you can create that kind of scenario where you might need to um you might need to work with more players than than is than than half if you like more than half the players might need to work together as a, as a unit if you like um but you can you can still count that as a game where you just say right you six change over and they got four four and four tries or whatever you know let, let's see how many you get sort of thing you know um so the, the game doesn't need to be um equal sides even you know it can no. just be uh put it into a just try and try and make it competitive you know try and and, and if you can sort of often your defense will naturally work hard you know a short shorthanded defense guys will start working hard just out of kind of personal pride to to, to stop stop the other team scoring on them or whatever they feel they feel outgunned outmanned so they they start they start to lift the level a little bit and and things can get competitive which which can be quite good um because you know the, the you might have something set up for like let's as i say a, a nine-man attack against a six-man defense and the six find they can compete quite well um and so that pushes that you know you, you may be working on your attack um but the nine guys find themselves under a lot of pressure because because the, the six start doing well just because you've managed to keep it competitive um so i think that's a that's a, a big one i think that both of us obviously feel the same but i think that's a, a big message that we should try and get out there to the coaches and those those nine v six games or eight v four or whatever <clears throat> they're really good conditioning games as well because the yeah. team that the team that is short met like down yeah. they've got to work yeah. harder exactly um, and i was having a chat to a coach about these overload drills um and he said he actually had was at an under 16 level and they were running, they weren't, they were just sort of playing three V twos and, you know, those types of things. Yeah. And he actually noticed that he's third, he's 13. So he's outside center was getting into a position where it was a, um, a two V one and the fullback was going to join the end of the line. So it was potentially a three V one and the 13 didn't know what to do. Because they'd never he'd never seen that picture before of I've only got one guy to beat and I've got two guys. What do I do? So he ended up <laughs> running those. Yeah, he just goes. He just didn't know. He, he he and he went and he sort of talked to the guy about it. The guy goes, "Well, I didn't know what to do." And then as soon as they started playing those six v fours, and this guy just went, "Oh, cool. Yeah, now I know what I've got to do." And he said, "This guy just then all this guy did was just set up his wing up and his fullback all day." And I just went, "Oh, yeah. When you actually look at it like that, he." He, yeah. wasn't, he wasn't used to having an overlap. So yeah, it's it's got its it's got its merits. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with your training sessions, what what does your questioning or breaks in play, like when you stop a drill, when when do you stop a drill? Um, and you have a chat to the players, what what does that look like for you, especially in a like if you look at like Luxembourg, you're, there's probably not as high as a rugby IQ as what a lot yeah. of coaches would be used to. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. If we if we're playing a game um, like a like a conditioning game or you know a, a proper let's say a game where it's ten v ten or twelve v twelve or whatever. Tend to try and ask them to keep the tempo really high um, for about four minutes, and then um, let them 
let the, the, the players themselves uh, speak in the break. We'll have a break for a minute or so and um, try and let them just talk in their teams and fix it, fix what's going wrong. Um, I, th I think, um, you know, one of the things I've learned in, from, from coaching in France is that there's sometimes a, a lack of uh, a lack of leadership there um, because the players have been conditioned to um, to be spoon fed a little bit. You know, they've they've, uh, they've they've been spoon fed over the years by coaches. Uh, so 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 try to let them identify the problems themselves and 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 and, and fix it. And then if we're more of a let's say a drill environment or kind of looking at working on skills. Try to um, try to ask guys where, where things how things have gone. Um, you know, how did they find it? Anything that they might change? Anything they think, you know, they they could do better? Um, or we, we could do better kind of thing. Um, so I tend to ask questions and really try to ask questions rather than uh, rather than take the take the spoon out and, and spoon feed them. Um, it's kind of culturally a little bit interesting. Like I have a lot of French players um, either in Belgium or Luxembourg or uh, or obviously in France, and I found that they um, they quite like to be they kind of expect to be spoon fed the, the responses at first. Um, I'm not sure if it's possibly educational, you know, or possibly what they're conditioned to. So, so try to um, try to encourage guys to think of think of answers themselves, think of responses. Um, and I think it makes a difference because players who've been in that environment longer tend to be more vocal. Um, they tend to, to to speak up more naturally. Um, so. So I think that's a way of helping people, helping to drive guys rugby IQ a bit and help, helping them to develop it, you know. Um, um, other things would probably involve during the games, um, try and get different players into first receiver, uh, different players into decision-making roles, let's say. Um, so not leave one player making all the decisions uh, during during sort of, Little little games, you know. Try to try to create the create the game in a way that lets different players uh, get their hands on the ball with a decision to make. Um, whether that's just you know carry, pop it on with a short pass, or or try a longer pass or whatever. Um, but try and actively encourage that um, in the way you set the game up. Um, I think that's another way to try and help help develop rugby IQ, if you like. Because uh, some guys would kind of expect to be able to come along and plod along, you know, like head down, and if the ball comes to me, I'll just I'll just run with it. But um, if you could, you can sometimes take those guys and, and stick them into that first receiver position, for example, or um, or just create the create the game where you know you have to make two passes for example so so more often the player will have to will have to will have to make a pass or um just things like that you know um i think that's that's a way of trying to develop um yeah as you say rugby iq and and that decision making ability is probably the best way i would describe it
Yeah, no, that's good. And I like the idea of putting guys into that first receiver role um, so they get to learn different roles and just how to look at the game a bit differently as well. Um, yeah, well, and really, I would, you know, I tend to coach adults at the moment, but whenever I've been working with uh, junior teams, I would say it's really, really important because very often at, at junior level, these guys are not going to be playing in that position in a couple of years' time. You know, as you just mentioned, some people are a shorter at that age and then the following season are the same size as everybody else. So, so um, you know, people, uh, I think junior players particularly, they really, really benefit from having um, some, some decision-making capability in the, in the training sessions. Like kind yeah. of being forced, forced to make decisions, if you like, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's a good point there that, you know, especially at, at 12, 13, 14, uh, probably up to 16-year-old, the, where that kid's playing now is not necessarily where they're going to end up playing. Um, Absolutely. You know, growth spurts related. I mean, you, you look at Stephen Larkham as a prime example. He, he played junior rugby as a prop, <laughs> you know, and he ended up, you know, one of the best 10s playing the game. So... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, and we see it down here, and you see it with junior. And when kids get into representative programs, they're they're playing out of position at club level because that's where they've always played, or that's where their coach wants them to play. But they're they're potentially out of position, and they actually don't know how to play the role or any other role than what they do, which is yeah, can can actually be. Um, Detrimental? De that's the word. Detrimental for their development because, you know, they if they play somewhere else in another position, they may make that next, they may make that jump to the next level rather than just saying, oh, this is where I play, this is all I can do. So, yeah, I mean, the big fast kid might get stuck in close to the ball, you know, sort of 10 or 12 or, or whatever mm. that kind of position is at a young age, but um, they may be destined for a career somewhere else in, in, the, in the game, you know, and uh, so it's probably good to, to get them some experience elsewhere as well, you know? Um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's, we've, we've seen it so many times and I think it's, I think it's important that really try to in, in, encourage that, um, that ability to make decisions, you know, even if it's simply, as you touched on earlier, the ability to finish a two on one, you know, like mm. if, if, if players can execute a two V one, then you know, that's kind of a huge part of rugby because, at the end of the day, rugby is a sort of numbers game, uh, and all over the field there's these little mismatches somewhere. Um, there's a two v one or three v two or whatever, um, and you only need to look at the pro game and how you know that almost takes that to extremes where you've got two lines of players and they're basically physically reasonably equal and they're sort of looking for these little numeric mismatches. So, so if we can get players who can sort of execute that you're kind of, you know, on the road already to, to having, um, you know, having guys capable of, of let's say, decision-making with a ball in hand. Yeah, and that got brought home to me. I played in a rep team with this guy who could play anywhere from lock to fullback. Yeah. And he was just one of those. And he, he said the only reason he's never played in the front row is because his neck was too long. Um, yeah. Like he could legitimately play lock, he could play loose forward, he could play ten, he could play twelve, he could play fifteen, he could play on the. And you just go, oh, mate, he was just one of those guys. 
And he just said he just got, when he was a kid, he just got put in different positions every week and he just learned to play them all. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, yeah, crazy. Never seen a guy like it. So. Uh, yeah, most you know, most examples won't be as kind of extreme as that. No, but, no. But, 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 but yeah, junior players change tend to change position, you know, later on. And, uh, and so, you know, get them, get their hands on the ball, get them involved, get them making decisions. Yeah. And we had this year in Melbourne with our under 13 representative team, they took 23 players away for weekend tournament. And I think five of the starting forward pack had all trialed as backs. And we just went, well, they're big ball carriers that can pass. So we, you know, they put them in, in the forward pack and they basically had, you know, 14 players that could could carry and pass. And it was just it was really good to watch, actually. Yeah, wonderful, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, had three, they took they took four tens away because three of the tens could actually carry a ball into contact. It was just like, so you, they played them at six and eight, I think, and so you had a six and eight and a ten that could all read a game and, and, and play that ten role. It was... Yeah, it sort of gets lost on on some coaches, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and I don't know what this is like in Europe and especially like in the area of Europe that you are. Um, like that coach, we've got coach education that gets put out, you know, through World Rugby or from the home unions or whoever it is that you're with. Um, yeah. But, but coach development. Um, yeah. What's some advice you can give to young coaches around the development, coach development rather than, you know, you, you go and you do your level one course and then your level two course and your level three and you yeah. just tick the boxes and you do yeah. your exams and that as opposed to actually developing yourself as a coach. What's some of the tips or some of the stuff that you've found worked for you? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good question, but I actually, you know, I, I do some work for while rugby on, as a, as a coach educator, so I, you know, I deliver those L1, L2 courses, and I, you know, delivered them in quite a few countries for uh, for World Rugby. Um, and I, you know, I definitely think they have a they have a role to play in terms of people learning how to coach, particularly, um, you know, learning how to coach um, and learning kind of good habits. Um, but as you say, it's definitely not the be all and end all. And a lot of coaches have this kind of obsession with levels. But I, I mean, I don't know how it is in Australia, but certainly over here, there's this coaches will think, well, I've done a, a level one course, so now I, now I know how to coach. And, and, and he's done a level two, so he, he, he knows more than me, you know, which um, I think getting coaches to move away from that mindset, certainly over here, would be, would be really, really useful because quite frankly i've seen some really bad coaches with um with you know who've got a certain certificate or whatever you know from their union or whoever and um and frankly they don't know what they're doing um so i think uh yeah coach development is 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 probably more important in the in the grand scheme of things um it probably helps you more um you know i kind of joke but you, you usually learn more on these coaching courses chatting to people uh chatting to guys in the bar at the end of the day than you probably did in the 
in the actual classroom during the day. Um, and that's no disrespect to, to what well, Robbie is. I'm, I'm totally totally <laughs> agree with you, mate. I totally agree with you. It's yeah, the connect. I mean, you do the courses I, to get connections with people. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm saying that I have a guy who delivers them, but you know, you, 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 it's that exchange of ideas, and and you know, one of the good things about World Rugby is they do try and encourage that exchange through the the way that they they run the courses in the first place. So if you extrapolate that out further, and you know, basically in your coach development, just try and keep exchanging ideas with other coaches. So um, you know, go along and watch um watch other teams training or, or other guys coaching if you like. Um. I think that would be the, the first the first thing to do. Um, and then, you know, with, with the internet and stuff these days, um, the amount of material online you can just sort of have a dig around on on YouTube, etc. Because I think a lot of coaches, they expect um, the coaching course, you know, the coach education to comprise um, uh, a, a folder full of, full of drills. Um, and of course, co coaching courses don't, don't include that. But... Um, I think a lot of coaches sort of turn up expecting to be handed a, a, a pile of drills and told, right, you can go in, run these now. Um, so, so yeah, put, you know, you can you can learn a lot by um, looking online, reading books around around exercises, etc. If you're looking for if you're looking for material to put into your sessions, but then um, yeah, I think. In terms of learning from other coaches, um, try and watch you know, watch uh, other teams training. Um, put your hand up to get involved in any kind of, uh, as you say, representative sort of stuff where there's kind of cross club cross club involvement. You know, so you maybe have an, an, you know one coach from yourself working with a coach from another club. It just gives you that chance to to um, to work with different players, but more probably more importantly with different different staff if you like different coaches and, and exchange ideas with them see how they go see how they work um i think um if you're really you know if you're interested listening listening to, to podcasts and things like that i find i find really useful as well um in terms of hearing hearing from other coaches how they go about what they do and um and then you know there's an element of watching rugby as well like watch games um Particularly around your level, um, we've all seen the you know the coaches who think um, you know I'm coaching the local under 15s, but I I saw this on on TV yesterday in the in the in the Six Nations, so we'll, we'll do that. You know, I mean, obviously that I can see you cringing in the photo in the in the, in the video, but obviously that doesn't work. <laughs> that doesn't work. But um, we, we all know coaches who do that kind of thing to try and replicate the, the professional game. Um, but, you know, watching watching kind of games around your level, you know, around similar yeah. age groups or similar kind of levels, you can you can pick up a lot. Um, even if it's from the way that, that these coaches interact with their teams, to uh, to how they play, to you know what they do, um, how they give minutes to, to players. You know, do, do they do they you know rotate guys or do they, do they leave the leave the starters on if you like? You, you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, I think getting out there and and um, and it exchanging with people is probably the best. The best. You hear me, okay, boy? 
Yeah, I've got you again, mate. You just dropped out there for a second. Oh, sorry. No, so I was just saying, yeah, I was just saying that, that, that that's all, um, you know, that exchange of ideas is all coach development as, a, as opposed to coach education, you know? Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Um, and if you're going to watch stuff on the Six Nations or at a professional level, turn the commentary off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Course, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that, that's an argument for another day. Yeah, mate, as, a, as a Scotsman who, who you know, has the same broadcaster as our neighbouring nations, yeah, you're, 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 on the, you're on the money there. You know, it's, and it's, it would be, you know, it's a similar the whole world over. And they go, oh, the, geez, the team did this and the team did that. And you go, but what, what were they trying to achieve? What was, because show me a rugby player that actually goes out on the field to, to play rubbish. There isn't one, like at any level. Even if even if the guy's no good, he doesn't go out and deliberately play bad. He might be ba- a bad player, but he's not deliberately playing below the standard that he that he can play. And yeah, the commentators just yeah, and you can I see it all the time. You mate, you go oh you've seen that drill on YouTube or on the TV or or whatever because there's no relevance to what the age group is or the or the level that they that coach is coaching into what that skill is that they're trying to do yeah and that, well really that brings me to like one other thing and that would be just to kind of try and keep it simple where possible you know um, mm-hmm. a lot of coaches a lot of coaches think that more complicated is better um you know more more complicated equals more advanced equals better you know um but rugby's a fairly simple game in a lot of ways, and uh, so I would, you know, try and I, I would try and encourage, particularly junior coaches, to try and try and keep things simple. Um, you know, um, it's not always it's often the best way is 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 a is a fairly straightforward way, and it's certainly easier for players to take on board. Um, so don't yeah. overload don't overload them, you know, with. Uh, with, yeah. with, with starter plays or, or line-out moves or whatever that might be. You know? And I remember years ago, I went. I was at a development seminar and there was a national, so it was a Wallabies coach and the super franchise coach was there. And they both said, the drills we're going to show you now are the exact same drills we use at the professional level. We just change the constraints. So... You know, it's faster. Yeah. There's less. Yeah. You know, the fields are smaller. There's it's more intense, but yeah. it's exactly the same drill we're going to run with these under eights. Yeah. And I, I just went, oh yeah, I can see now that you know, make the field bigger for the little kids so they can actually have fun with it. Yeah. And if you want to, you know, simple catch pass drill, make the field smaller. And put, you know, play more defenders or you know, they're the, same, they're the same drill. They just change the constraints to what you're coaching. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's good, mate. There's some good advice in there. Um, so, if you could go back in time to that first um, that first twelve months where you were coaching, um, if you could go back there and give yourself some advice from what knowing what you know now, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Uh, probably. Around um, what I mentioned earlier, Billy, you know, don't want to repeat myself too much, but probably concentrate on the performance more on the rather than the the result. Um, 
you know, and, and try and concentrate um, on creating a, a positive environment for the for the players to to enjoy. Um, you know, I think um, some coaches and you know, I was probably guilty of that myself at the very start was uh, try to you know they try to get results as a, a little bit of an individual vanity project. Um, and frankly, you know, the coaches' wishes for the season aren't really what aren't necessarily what should drive the team. Um, you, you know what I mean? That the the, uh, the the players may have completely different motivations from the coach. So I think concentrating on 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 performance and um, you know things like player involvement, getting you know getting making sure players play rather than uh, sit on a bench, etc. Things like that would we I would prioritize far higher than than uh, than than winning games. Um, I think that's the, the 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 best sort of advice I could give myself as a as a, a grassroots coach, if you like, if I was just starting out now. Yeah, well, that's really good, Matt. Some good advice here because I know, and I was guilty of it as a young coach, mate. Everything was about winning. Yeah, um, I don't know where it comes from, but eventually, my, eventually the good coaches grow out of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was probably lucky in that I started with adults who, they, you know, they kind of wanted to win as well. Um, but you know, it doesn't it doesn't really make any difference because guys have completely different motivations for playing at mm. grassroots, grassroots level. Some guys just want to hang out with their mates for the day, you know. Some guys want to get away from the wife and kids. Some guys um, want to have a bit of a run around and, and keep themselves fit. Some guys have maybe got aspirations to go on and play at a higher level, and, and they, you know, they they want to to shine and, and win and stuff like that. And you know, um, so I think tapping into those motivations a little bit and seeing what what guys want to get out of the game and try and try and cater for uh, for that group um, is, is 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 really important as well. You know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know of a couple of coaches that actually didn't take coaching roles because what they wanted to coach didn't fit with the, like the team. They just said, we just want to go out and have fun and, and hang around with our mates. And these, these coaches were like, well, that's not really what I want. I'm, you know, I want. So they, sure. they went, he's a great bloke, but you're not going to fit the style of how I coach or what I yeah. want to coach. And they went, yep, yeah, cool, no problem. And he, he walked away and he went, oh, that was actually a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, well, as a coach, he'd probably been quite miserable because he'd been trying to push yeah. his um, his sort of performance environment, if you like, onto onto a bunch of leisure players. You know, yeah, um, yeah absolutely. So he got frustrated, and he, he wasted a lot of time, a lot of time and effort. You know, traveling to games with with these guys if, who just didn't share his um his outlook around um you know, let's say high performance or, or, or what what the environment mm. he was trying to create. Yeah, yeah, and either the players leave because. They're not liking what the coach is doing, or the coach doesn't coach yeah. anymore. Because yeah, so there's there's no winner sometimes in that situation. So yeah, mate, that is absolutely awesome. Um, there's some I've got a couple of pages of notes here, so I'm sure the people listening will take as much away from this as what I have. Um, Good. Thank you so much for your time and. I know that the internet where you are at the moment is not very good, so I'm glad it held up for most of it. Um, yeah. 
Well, thanks very much for having me on, Billy. It's been, it's been really interesting chatting to you. I really enjoyed no, it. Mate. It's, it's good. It's good, mate. It's really good. Um, so I'll let I'll let you know when we when we put it out there, and um, we can go from there. All right. Good. That's a mighty shot. A mighty man, Leicester, and driven off their own ball. That is monstrous. Yeah. 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 Yeah.